This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. The investigation continues, of course, about the the terrible incident that happened last weekend in Las Vegas. Uh, Authorities now believe that the man behind the attack had stockpiled weapons and ammunition over decades, decades, and meticulously planned the attack. But they don't know a whole lot else about him as an individual and certainly still trying to find out about motive. Joining us to talk about the investigation is Ross McLean, crime specialist, security expert, of course, former Toronto police officer. Ross McLean, security.com is a great website to go to to get an awful lot of the links on the information and the uh, subjects that we talk about. Morning, Ross. How are you today? I'm doing good, Bill. Uh, you know, looking forward to talking about this and trying to shed a bit of light on this uh, strange, strange case. Well, you know, they found obviously uh, shortly after the incident occurred the, who this guy was. They had a name not too long after that. But it's been slow and, and very plodding, Ross, to try to find anything else about this guy. Yeah, it's very, very unusual. Like, he's been described as uh, basically being like a ghost, Bill. I've, I've seen at least two other uh, credible profilers who look at him and they say the fact that they're unable to find certain amounts of information about him uh, shows that he was working to basically stay off the grid stay uh, below the radar and not have people find out much about him so he was very meticulous about that as well as he was in planning this this mass shooting i mean they they understand this guy lived in las vegas apparently he was a gambler uh, heavy gambler, but we don't know much about that either. Was he winning? Was he losing? Uh, did it have an effect on his life? Uh, was he despondent? This, this is an awful lot of gray here, Ross. Yeah, and he's a guy who dealt in cash. Apparently some of the houses he bought, he had four different houses, which is unusual in itself. Some of them apparently he basically paid cash for. Uh, as you say, he was a gambler. He would gamble ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 at a time, working just on video poker. Uh, there's been reports that he was flagged at least 200 times by banks and casinos for doing transfers uh, out of out of the country. Whenever you transfer more than $10,000 at a time bill, a flag goes out to the authorities. And what they're looking for then is someone who deals in that much cash. Is it money laundering? Is it drug dealing? Is it what's going on? Where's this cash coming from? So somewhere he was able to generate a whole lot of cash. We don't know where from. Uh and his job history is, is spotty, but he appears to have worked as an accountant and an auditor and an IRS person. So is he involved in fraud somewhere or something? We're, we're yet to find out where that all came from. The other element of this, and so let's talk about uh, about what I guess is one of the most uh, frightening aspects of this, about the, the, the arsenal, really, that this guy had accumulated over the years. And, and I guess a lot of that, if not all of it, was in that hotel room. Yeah, and and once again, you can tell by looking at this, he was meticulous in what he picked and what he chose. I mean, I'm I'm looking at uh, the weapons he chose and the ones he took and the rounds he had in there. And basically what he did was he set something up as if he had researched it extensively online to find out the best thing to have. Like he had the heaviest artillery weapons you could get uh, easily, you know, an AR-10 perhaps, uh, that shoots a three oh eight NATO round. It's a very dangerous and heavy round that inflicts a lot of damage for doing it. Tripods, flash suppressors. It's like he really meticulously researched everything before he took the actions to buy. And clearly we're also seeing he took the actions to practice and dry run and rehearse by having taken up the same sort of spots in other places around around the country. What's that tell you about him, Ross? Put your police hat on for a second here, if, if you're in the investigation here. Uh, it smacks to me as if this guy had some kind of training in weaponry. 
He would have had to. You just don't pick up guns and fire them like that. You just can't read on the Internet, go buy a gun like that, start shooting it, and know what goes on. Uh, for instance, I've, I've heard some uh, people who, who are very, very good with weapons say that the reason why he probably had a variety of weapons was because when you start firing those semi-automatics as almost automatics with the bump stock, we can talk about that later, yeah. the barrels get so hot that they start to jam and they won't be able to fire after a while. So just reloading a magazine into one gun wouldn't allow you to send out such a mass of bullets. So what he did is he had several guns so he could fire one, pick up the next one, fire that one, pick up the next one. So he would have had to have known that somehow. And typically the only way you'd know that is by doing a lot of firing or doing some real research or perhaps having somebody counsel you on it. That's going to be the interesting part. Where did he acquire this knowledge? Where did he practice? Yeah, and, and who taught him, and, and there was a strategy. I mean, uh, we've seen some pictures of that hotel room now, Ross, uh, that have been released. I know police are pretty upset about that, that that stuff actually came to public knowledge, but but it's out there now, and I've seen them on, on social media as well. Uh, and there was, this, there, there was a plan. I mean, he knew what he wanted to do there. He had the gun set up strategically in certain areas of the room to get different areas. It, this was not just random, hey, I'm going to bust the glass and start firing at people. Correct. And, and it, it appears to me that what he's done is he has researched other mass shootings and terrorist attacks like this. And it is very much, I mean, ISIS has claimed responsibility for him two or three times, although we haven't had any evidence of this. But it's clear to me that he's rehearsed and wanted to follow the ISIS patterns. For instance, using the guns, firepower at a concert in what's considered a sin city, Las Vegas, like Paris is, people who are pinned in. Uh, firing massive amounts of shots. And I'll also note the other thing that was interesting is he did this on the last song of the last night of the festival, which is another way that uh, ISIS typically operates. They've done it at the end of the Boston Marathon bombing, you know, at the end of the night at the Paris nightclub, at the end of the concert for the area, area Grand Concert in Manchester. So he very much studied, looked, and decided how he was going to do this. Well, he's obviously done research on this. I, there was a story that we heard yesterday, and again, police are pretty reticent to confirm or deny a lot of this stuff, but uh, that he may have researched other areas. Uh, Lollapalooza in Chicago, which is a great big outdoor music festival that's held every summer, uh, and a couple of other cities. Boston, I think, was another one that was mentioned. Uh, and and it would, which makes you wonder. I, I guess he he chose Vegas, but I mean, this guy this guy had a plan, and I mean, this was not just some guy, that, a random shooter that just decided that he goes off the deep end one day. I mean, this 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 guy did an awful lot of homework before he decided to do what he did. Yeah, and the Lollapalooza, I, I will point out, was that he looked at, scoped out, was apparently at, and overlooking was where uh, one of President Obama's daughters was at at the time for doing it. And I suspect what he's doing at these places, uh, uh, Bill, is he's looking to see how the security is in the hotel, what he can get in, what the angles will be like, what the uh, promoters and the, and the people are using for security. Are they doing metal detectors? Does he see dogs? You know, and just looking in general to see how these different events have raised or what their standards are for doing the security so he could figure out uh, exactly how he wanted to attack. Let me ask you maybe one of the most elementary questions that's been on, I think, a lot of people's minds since we've heard even a little bit of information here, Ross. Uh, and, and it's a question I don't think Las Vegas police have an answer for yet either. Did this guy act alone? I mean, the fact that he had that many guns, that much weaponry in that room, uh, and accumulated that and set it up, uh, there's, there's some indication, and, and you know more about this stuff than I, 
that uh, that there was somebody helping him out, maybe even just to set this up or to plan this, something like that. Yet, yet we don't see any solid evidence of that. At least we don't know that the police have told us anything about it yet anyway. No, we don't see any solid evidence of that. And, of course, there could have been someone working with him. Uh, you know, the sheriff at one point made, a, made the statement that he felt that he was radicalized, although he didn't go into any more information about that to know what that means. Um, and if they may or may not have other information. Another woman was seen at him at the casino earlier when he was there. Of course, they'll have video of that. They'll have video of all of his movements and mm-hmm. everybody who went up to his room and when they went in and out of the rooms and all those sort of things, just to the regular security services. So they'll have the information to look at. You know, the concern that I have, and we haven't heard anything about this, he was so meticulous at setting up his defense to his little uh, shootout hut up there that I've got reason to believe, I would suspect, he would have done the same about his online activities to do this research and who he communicated with and what else he did. So I, I suspect the police may have a hard time, uh, or at least a slow time, trying to track down him through his online activities, because he must have been smart about that as well, would be my guess. You would think so. As you mentioned, he seems to have covered his tracks in just about everything. But I, I'm, I'm dumbfounded that this guy could actually walk through a hotel lobby in Las Vegas uh, with I, I don't know how many suitcases or duffel bags or whatever it is, uh, and, and I'm sure he didn't do it all at once, but the fact is he accumulated this stuff over a rather short period of time and got it all upstairs without raising any red flags. That, that seems incredulous. Yeah, well, you know, actually, funny enough, there's, there's a Special Forces guy I talked to a little bit down in the U.S., and he tells me, he says, it's not unusual. He says he brings lots of guns to different places and to hotels. He never gets anybody looking at them or questioning them, and he could have done it over, over the course of a couple of days. Now, I since understand that, uh, you know, the hotel is bringing in, uh, you know, scanners and all sorts of things to start looking at bags and deal with that. So we'll have to see if that changes now that this has become um, into the public knowledge as a way of conducting some of these attacks. I think you might even see these hotels, like let's just take an example, I don't mean to point them out, but we've got our, our our Sky Dome here in Toronto with a hotel that overlooks into the field. Yeah. I think what you'll start to see is that hotels, whenever they've got any entertainment going on close to their place, if it's nearby, that they'll start telling the people in those rooms that the rooms will be subject to inspections and searches and things like that. I would expect that would be a reasonable approach to take for the next little while till we get this solved. Oh, yeah, that's uh, clearly, I guess, going to be one of the offshoots of this is, is hotel security all over the world, I guess, is actually going to be changed and ramped up now because of this. Well, condos too. I mean, you look at uh, you look at most city halls. You've got a square with hotels opposite them, or condo buildings and other things. So, uh, it's a concern when you have somebody plotting out something like this to get, you know, a hold of one of these guns, uh, take a take a high altitude position, and basically shoot into a killing field. You know, is really what he was doing. There was some anticipation that maybe they might get some uh, some insight into this guy with the, uh, the quote-unquote girlfriend returning to the States the other day. Uh, she flew uh, from the Philippines back over to LAX, and uh, they was interrogated there by uh, Las Vegas police, and I guess FBI were watching, although this isn't really their investigation yet, we're told anyway. But uh, there was nothing really there. As a matter of fact, I, I, that's why I use the term advisedly girlfriend, because uh, the way she seemed to explain it, Ross, she, they lived together, but they didn't really have that much of a relationship. They were more than less seemed to be friends as opposed to anything else, and she didn't have a whole lot less more rather to offer to, the, to, to painting this picture of this guy. Yeah, well, it's, I think it's going to be interesting. that They, of course, will have their best investigators on her, speaking with her. They'll be videotaping all of the interactions. They'll be looking at everything she does from her, her hands to her eye gestures, micro gestures to see if she's telling the truth 
or not. Because the the one thing that did come out of it, apparently, though, is she did talk about him uh, lying in bed at night screaming, uh, you know, yelling out, oh, my God, oh, my God. Uh, we have a report that he was using uh, some some Valium that he had a prescription for that he was taking. You know, I, I very much suspect that this guy, he seems to be a very much like what the Unabomber was before. Very, very smart, but he's got a psychosis. And, of course, his father apparently was mentally ill and wanted by the FBI and on the run. So it strikes me that he's acting very much like someone who's got a paranoid psychosis. And maybe he just started hearing things, you know, the tinfoil hat stuff, that voices were telling him to do stuff or someone else was taking advantage of him if he's in that position for doing it. But it's hard to believe that she would not have known that that many guns were were around the houses that they were in. Yeah, that's that's one of the things of, of what we've been told anyway about uh, about her her interrogation is that uh, she couldn't offer any insight and didn't really realize that that he was planning anything or doing anything. But uh, I, I understand that guns may be part of uh, the way of life for an awful lot of people down there. But when you've got that kind of an arsenal there, it's kind of hard to you'd be tripping over it. I would think in the house for her not to notice it. You got to wonder just you know how truthful she's being now. Well, I mean, uh, most people's girlfriends and wives, for the most part, uh, they they know where they where the, where people spend their time. They know where they spend their money, and they know where they earn their money, and uh, they know when they're getting money sent to them as to where that money comes from and what the reason is for it. So, I, I think she'll definitely have information to share. Uh, the question will be whether or not she has any any complicity in this. And I also have to say, I believe that they're going to be looking closely at his. Uh, his brother as well, who also seems to have some somewhat bizarre behavior and statements he's making about this in terms of his brother. So they'll be looking at him because did they work together before? Who knows? We'll have to wait and see on that. Are they looking for an accomplice here, do you think? Oh, I think that what what they're going to be doing is the forensics is going to be one of the key ways to to lead this up. They'll be able to tell from the forensics. They're, they're even doing stuff, uh, Bill, like analyzing the audio from cell phone videos that people have. They're able to analyze that to determine what type of gun was being fired when, if two guns were being fired at the same time, if there's an overlap from doing it. So they're studying the audio, the video, there'll be the flash, of course, all the evidence that's in the room, uh, you know, fingerprints, everything that's going to be in that room, who else they saw with him, who entered the hotel. I mean, they'll be going over all of that. So uh, hopefully they'll be able to find uh, the answer as to whether this was one uh, just caught up crazed guy on his own who's doing this who is radicalized or if somehow somebody took advantage of the condition in his state uh, to get him to where he was very troubling stuff uh, and add to get any kind of clarity on this would be helpful i guess but it's going to take time ross thanks as always great talking with you again have a great weekend thanks so much bill ross mclean of course a uh, crime specialist you're listening to the bill kelly show weekdays from nine to noon on am 900 chml we want to talk about the hottest topic of debate, and it happens. It, well, it is. It is. <laughs> yep. Uh, inductees are the nominees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And uh, joining us to talk about this are two people that know a lot more about pop music than I do. I'm just an aficionado myself. Uh, ben McVie, of course, uh, from Y108 Mornings with Ben, Shauna, and Chris. And, of course, Colleen Rushholm from Fresh Mornings uh, with Darren and Colleen, 95.3. You hear, these are the, the two great morning shows that uh, work down the hall for me when I come in here every morning to do my stuff. And you guys stay up late with me today. This is great. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having us. It's our pleasure. And, by the way, happy anniversary to AM900 CHML. Yeah. 90 years young. Yes. Yeah. 
What was it like your first broadcast 90 years ago? Just kidding. That was a terrible joke. <laughs> it was. I love you. It was. I've okay. only been here 89 years. It seems, <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it's some mornings anyway, I tell you. Now, that was an awful lot of fun. Uh, let, let's, let's get into this. And I'm going to make my bias right here right from the beginning. I, I think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions is a joke. Uh, I think mm. it's a farce. I've been watching this for years and years, and I used to play the game. Oh, what about my band? How come they're not nominated? Then I realized yeah. these guys don't know what they're doing. I still, to this day, don't know the criteria, Why? how they select these people. The criteria is that you have to have had your first recording within 25 years. 25 so it can't years be newer. ago. Yeah. yeah, so 1992. Yes. You're not alone. Steve Miller feels the exact I same way. He, he you nailed remember? it last year. Yeah, like he went. Do you remember that speech? So he went up and called them all out. Apparently, his family had to pay thousands of dollars to even have a table, even though he was being inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But you know what? It's getting us talking about it. This is the only controversy the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has is to not allow some bands in. I'm not falling for it because you know what? Every single band, even on this year's list, they're all going to be in the Rock, rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They're all going to be oh, there. Sure they will, so yeah. it's just a matter of time. Whether it'll be this year or not, I don't you know. You think about Rush and how long they were left yeah. out. And every year, that'd be the, the that would be the controversy. Where's Rush? Where's yeah. Rush? Where's Rush? And I, I, yeah, I think they hold back on some just to keep the buzz going. Mm-hmm. I think that's what took Rush so long to get in. They should have been in the first year. But what yeah. what is the criteria though? I mean, is it? I, I understand you're saying, Colin, mm-hmm. that's the time element of yeah. this. But do you have to have sold 20 million records? Do you no, have to have, not at all. See? Did you change a generation? Did you change a sound? Did you yeah. uh, influence other bands? Did you influence a generation? But how subjective is that? Well, it's completely subjective. That's what makes it controversial. Because I'm, uh, you, some of these things you can look at and say, okay, fine, the, the so-and-so wasn't a big artist, but I mean, like Bill Withers is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. I like his music, okay? I, like I think use he me. to be there. Really? Yeah. Well, they, they, this is getting to be like other Halls of Fame where everybody gets in. Well, there's also the argument, too, that is that rock and roll? When well, bands be- like Grandmaster oh. Flash, LL Cool J is nominated this year, and bands like that are getting in ahead of Rush, and that gets everybody all. I, I don't even think about the title of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. It all is under that umbrella. Yeah. But we're talking about it. I, I know. Not I to know, take away from the magic that is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's one of my most favorite places to go to. Like, have you been before? Uh, uh, I, you know what? It's it, incredible. And yeah. It's ins- yeah. yeah uh, here I am. I, I love music. I'm mm-hmm. a musicologist. I'm, I've not been. It, never been, just because right. just, just I've never been. Well, I've been to Cleveland. It will blow your mind. Yeah, it will I, blow your mind. I know. Everybody who goes said, when are you going? When are yeah. you going? I just, uh, one of these days I'm going to get around to it. Yeah, it's a great weekend yeah. trip. It really is. But but here's the whole thing. I mean, the music you guys play on Fresh, the mm-hmm. music you guys play on Y, is under that same umbrella. It's it's You're basically, ro- the, your artists are, are possible nominees for the Rock and Roll Hall That's of Fame. That's right. Yeah, they're very different. I mean, there's not a whole That's lot right. of songs that both of you guys play. A lot of artists that both of you don't yeah. play. Y and Fresh, no. No. I, d- I don't see uh, I don't I, see Depeche Mode doing a concert opening up for Judas Priest, for no, example. No. no, I don't. I don't no, see that happening. No, of course not. They'd open <laughs> for Shawn Mendes, would? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, uh, rather incongruous. But yeah. that used to happen. Jimi Hendrix opened for the Monkees in their That's first right. tour. See, yeah. the so, Monkees were big back then, man. I love the Monkees. <laughs> so do I. I love the Monkees. That's one of the I other debates that I've important. had with uh, with Graham Rockingham and some of these other guys. Yeah. Uh, I said, the Monkees really got a bad rap in the 60s. I know we're kind of dating myself. Because they said, well, you guys don't play your own instruments. And now we found out nobody did back then. That's mm-hmm. right. Except, well, the Beatles, obviously. Mm-hmm. But but the, the Wrecking Crew uh, basically was on just about every recording. The Beach Boys never played their own instruments. The Birds, I mean, go all the way down. They're all in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I'm, And then I'm thinking, okay, okay, they have to be artists that, that have changed a generation, yeah. like you said, Colleen, or influenced somebody or started a movement like the Beatles, for instance. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, ABBA? Of course. Okay. 
But one hundred percent. How can you? I know. Really? I know. But and and I've thought at first. Okay, is that really rock and roll? But I, I think we the, should. That's put, what I'm referring but I, to. I think but. we should get away from. This is not an argument that matters anymore. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. All music goes under that umbrella. Mm. We got to let that go. Otherwise, we're going to have a disco Hall of Fame, a rap Hall of Fame. No, 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 no. It all falls under rock and roll. That that huge yeah, umbrella, that title, with all the, the, That's the right. with all the, the warts that come with within it. those four know, walls, I, I all artists are represented. When I was there, I saw um, the, the rap exhibit that they had going on, along next to the John Lennon exhibit. It all falls under. It's music. It makes you feel. It's about memories. It's about your upbringing. It's about your own traditions. It's about what what you carry with you through the music's important. Whether it, what, but regardless of the label you put on it, I think we should let that go. Don't you think? Well, yeah, but here's I've the sort problem. I've accepted it, yeah. Yeah, we have yeah. to. Yeah. We all, in our own way, are, are, are music snobs to a certain extent, right? I mean, there are people who consider themselves rock purists and say, well, yeah. I hate disco. Really? You, you can't th- hate disco. Do you think you know the influence disco had on music for, for like right. 15 years? Mm-hmm. I mean, to. the Rolling Stones did a disco song. Yeah. The Miss Beatles you. did a di- yeah. oh not the Beatles but Paul McCartney did I mean everybody was influenced by disco that's right you can't pretend it didn't happen that's right it was you- an important time in music yeah especially in New York City in the seventies it was everything it may not Studio have been 69. your most it may not have been your your favorite kind mm-hmm. but I mean it's you you got to take that yet you don't see a whole lot of this 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 is where the snobbery element comes into it yeah. I think an awful lot of the time when it comes in who uh, stands out to you on this list that bothers you because I feel like. You're bugged by it. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering yeah. who who's not there. Is is there always the debate though, Colin? Yeah. Uh, I'm glad the Moody Blues are nominated. I mean, they're Me one too. of my favorite bands. I've, I've always liked them, and, yeah. and and I think that's a band that changed uh, the way the pop music was done. I mean, they're not the first band to use orchestral arrangements in their music, but they really it dominated their music for the longest time, and other bands copied them. And does anything compare to Nights in White Satin? That is the most beautiful yeah. ro- song Days, ever written. Days of Future Past yeah. was one of the first concept albums uh, because it was all done orchestrally, and the whole album kind yeah. of tells a story. Uh, yeah. And a lot, bands, yeah, a lot of bands actually imit- imitated that. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's cool. That's great. Steve Miller getting in last year was great. Although, and I love he the didn't way he, like it, and I, he'll I, never go back. I love the way he yeah. trashed them. He said, yeah. "You guys he basically <laughs> said you guys don't have your act together." He yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it wasn't was just because really his family had to pay for the table. He says yeah. he says there's no marketing. There's there no was promotion. no organi- organization around it. Yeah, he felt totally alone. But why then would you just not say thanks, but no thanks? I'm because honored, it's but Steve thanks, but Miller. No he is so vocal about yeah, everything. True. To see him in an interview, he just loses his mind. I quite like him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I no, like his I, I love being offhand yeah. like that. And it's still the Hall of Fame. It's I mean, still has, the Hall has, of Fame. Has a baseball player ever said, "Nah, thanks, no, no thanks. I don't want to be in your <laughs> yeah, Hall of Fame." Point. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you're going to get nominated, you need to go through this. I mean, you're enshrined in the history if you're there. That's that's yeah. that's the that's the thing. That's what mm-hmm. you're shooting for, isn't it? Yep. I mean, let's face it. You, you, there's nobody in pop music that doesn't have an ego. There's nobody who's on a stage with a microphone that doesn't have an exactly. ego, I think. Yeah. Or, 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 or a healthy <laughs> ego. <laughs> I think we're all insecure weirdos, personally. But yeah. So do I. So do I. Yeah. Uh, another topic for another day. We'll have you back next Friday. We'll talk <laughs> about that. Yes. But but it's it's not so much who's here, though. It's it's just, the, like I say, the, the, the way in which this is this all rolls out. Uh, if they had said... Here's what we're doing. It's uh, it's uh, how many records you've sold. It's it's give me some criterion right now. They just seem to come up with a list. 
And and I'm thinking, and who I, are these people? I, I mean, I know the, the artist, but yeah. I'm saying, who's selecting these people, and how do you determine it? Well, there's a committee that, that runs the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and then f- when they narrow it down to five, that's when the fans get to, and I believe it's October 12th, they get to start voting online through yeah. Facebook. Yeah, and, you get, yeah. And, and the fan vote is like with uh, what, one-fifth of one percent, I think, of what they... Yeah, like. but at least the fans get to have a say. But we have to trust, much like we do the Oscars, the people anoint, uh, appointed to make those decisions. And when I look at the list this year... Everybody is worthy of being inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think every single one. What about you, Ben? Um, you know what? I was looking. I um, Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say. I mean, everybody's... This is the beauty of this. When this mm-hmm. list comes out, it opens up that debate of who should and who shouldn't be and who's more deserving and who isn't. But yeah, there's nobody I'm looking at on this list that I, I don't think belongs. Is So how far do you, do you widen that scope then, Colleen? I mean, can it be anybody... Uh, can Frank Sinatra be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yes. The guy sold a lot of records. I'm surprised he hasn't been nominated. He had songs on the pop charts. Are you sure he's not inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I don't think he is. Don't think so. Somebody look that Somebody up. Somebody check the tape. Yeah, you check the tape. Um, <laughs> I, absolutely. Because you go back over music yeah. charts, uh, it, I, obviously in the 40s and 50s mm-hmm. he was big. Well, but, some but, of those people are from the 40s and 50s on this list. Yeah. Sister Rosetta Tharp, uh, Nina Simone, she's more 50s and 60s, but mm-hmm. still, yeah. And Jay Giles' band is an interesting one, too, because mm-hmm. everybody remembers Jay Giles for Freeze Frame and uh, what was the other? Uh, Centerfold. 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 But Centerfold. if you go back and listen to early 70s, Jay Giles, cool. they were nothing like that. Yeah, but good, right? They're Amazing. Excellent yeah. band. My, my good friend, Carrie Gray, who's no longer with us, He would. there were two bands on here that he would just jump all over your throat if you said they don't deserve it. Jay Giles is one and MC5 mm-hmm. is the other. He's a huge fan of both. Was he? Because MC5 is one of those obscure bands. Rolling Stone magazine put them on the cover in 1968-69. Yeah. Nobody's heard of them. Mm-hmm. And and they within two years, they dissolved. They did a farewell show that sold out at a stadium of 1,000 people. They tried it again the next year, and nobody showed up. I think that's part of the yeah. cri- When you're asking about criteria, I think every year they try to aim to have a band or an act like that. Mm-hmm. Where you say, oh, hugely influential, stuck around for a very short time, but landmark. Like yeah. the Sex Pistols. That's right. One record. Yeah. Because that was well, more about a culture than it was about the music, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. but they influenced how many other bands? Exactly. <laughs> Everybody. And MC5 is one of those bands mm-hmm. that people would say, if you don't know MC5, you can't talk about it. If, if, but about people any who lo- other, know them, yeah. love them. That's yeah, so cool. I like that yeah. he was a big fan of that. Band. Oh, listen, Carrie, yeah. my office used to be right by your studio there back in those days. And, yeah. and Carrie would come in during the breaks and he schooled me on every. We would go back and forth with music trivia, who was who played bass guitar on this, et cetera. Oh, yeah, and he was the ultimate lot of fun. geek. Uh, always, we, we agreed to disagree about Prince versus Springsteen, but I mean, you know. That's <laughs> why are they being put in? Why, why is that an argument? Well, he didn't think that I should be as, as big a fan of Springsteen as, as I, he said I should be bowing down to, to Prince. And, and Really? I, and I said, Prince and is great. Here's but, another uh, debate that's been going around this week. Why are people pitting Tom Petty against Bruce Springsteen? Why can't you be a fan of both? They're saying one's East Coast, one's West Coast. That's like that's it's a, a rap thing. Yeah, but that's I think what that's I was telling you. That's that, that music snobbery that some people have. Like, like that's my band. That's my artist. So the other guy sucks. Yeah, but uh, that doesn't make any sense. They're both such different artists, though. Yeah. They're amazing songwriters. Why? Are, I don't. I don't get why they're pitting. Nor do I. <laughs> it's so odd to me. Well, and yeah. and the whole thing about this too is is the fans can be like that and say, well, you know, I like this guy, so this guy sucks. Yeah. These guys all get along. They're all fans. Of they're all friends they of each are. other. Yeah. You know, but I mean, think about it over the years, it, you know, Bruce Springsteen or Tom Petty, Stones or Beatles, those yeah. types of arguments have been around. And it's almost it's true. It's almost as though, so see, for some people, who you like out of the two is sort of a, it defines your personality. Right. Like, 
people mm-hmm. will go on to make assumptions that if you're a Stones fan, you're this. If you're mm-hmm. a Beatles fan, you're that. Mm-hmm. And you can't be both. Well, that's distinction started when Springsteen started to get really popular back in the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Born they the said, USA. well, yeah, but he's just writing about the, the blue-collar guy. What about us, our country folks? So Mellencamp was their guy. That's right. He was the S- yeah. Southern rock. He was the straw yeah. boss. Mm-hmm. They, 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 Bruce is the boss, mm-hmm. and this is the straw boss. <laughs> but we can and, love them all, can't we? There's I think room so. for them all. <laughs> you, sound, you sound like Rodney King. You know, can't we just get along? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. <laughs> but this yeah. is that's what the debate's all about every yeah. time, though, is, is you've got to make those distinctions and say, hey, I'm, gr- I'm really glad that LL Cool J's here, but those other guys He's suck. worthy of being there. Yeah. LL Cool J should be there. Yeah. Yeah. So who's not on the list that should be on the list? It's Who's not on the list? I can't tell you that I know who isn't, hasn't been inducted. That's why I'm not convinced that Frank Sinatra hasn't been. I don't think Alice Cooper's in, is he? Well, Alice Cooper should be in it. But here, this goes back to my theory. Mm. It gets us talking about it. Eventually, Alice Cooper will be in the right. Of course he will be. He's so worthy of it. All right. I got one other question for you because this comes up all the time Mm -hmm. as well. You mentioned about Rush and how long it took uh, for them to finally get inducted. Right. Who's the next Canadian band who's going to get inducted? Or will there be one? Sure. I would like to say, and and I think when tragedy strikes and Gord Mm. Downey's gone, I think, see, with it's the tragically hip have no commercial success in the States at all. Mm -hmm. But if I had to pick a band, a Canadian band that deserves to be in next, it'd be the hip. I let you say it because you're such a fan. There's nobody bigger of a fan than, than you, Ben. Yeah. But I, I, I'm behind you. I think the Guess Who is already in there. Guess Who's in? No, I not. believe. Oh wait, the, no, they're not. The are Guess they? Who are not. Are in. you sure? They is are the not. Randy Bachman band in there? No, is it? no. And I, I you yeah. know what? I will wager you. Or BTO the, rather. I will wager yeah. that Bachman Turner Overdrive yeah. gets in before the Guess Who. I think that's a safe because, maybe. Because bigger they had, hits. And the Guess Who were great. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I love their music. But BTO had more success in the states than, than even the Guess Who did. Uh-huh. They sold more records, bigger concert gigs. It was just a better time for them. Yeah. So that and that'll be the the ultimate joke, I guess that that. Randy Bachman's going to have over Burton Cummings. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I'm going to get in there no, before yeah, you, brother. Yeah, BTO no was a big Midwest Rust Belt Huge. kind of band. Like yeah. gi- gi- just gigantic, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Although, the guess who belongs in there, too. I bet Absolutely. Oh, but they will be in. <laughs> but, but there's always this problem. There's this stigma about Canadian music, and Canadian music is fabulous. Uh, you listen to some of the uh, the satellite radio stations uh, where, you know, they don't have to play Canadian content, That's and right. you hear an awful lot of Canadian music. Yeah. Like, this stuff was big. We live in a bubble up here. We think, oh, it's Gordon Lightfoot. Who likes Gordon Lightfoot? Everybody does. I Everybody loves Rush. This you know, morning on Classic Rock Vinyl Radio on Sirius Satellite, they played Honeymoon Suite. Yeah. I love that. That's cool. It makes me feel proud that our Niagara Falls boys get heard in the States. And yeah. you know you know what yeah. else comes to mind in terms of Canadians? I just thought this, and I'm not absolutely certain if he is or isn't mm-hmm. in, but Brian Adams. I was just thinking that, too. Probably he's inducted into Canada's Walk of yeah. Fame. Yeah. Yeah, he's I outstanding. <laughs> I was just, I was just well, saying, after uh, after he did the Invictus thing the other day, mm-hmm. I I got a little jaded with his music, and maybe it's because I was playing it all the time when uh. I was doing rock music, and I just thought, you know, you hear the same artist time yeah. and time again, but I've been away from it for a while, then I watched him on Sunday, and I thought, mm-hmm. this guy is really good. He's incredible. <laughs> you get a he's really great appreciation. Oh, he's How an about Crash artist. Test Dummies? No? No. Not there no, yet? Okay. Not yet. Maybe not never? Yet. Maybe there. never. Not but yet. that Reckless yeah. album was, I think it was the first Canadian oh, album to go number one in the States since the Guess Who. It was There huge. you go. So, yeah. Brian Adams gets a nod. Well, and and we, it's that's the other element that I always find fascinating. We we always want somebody to validate our, our Canadian music and our mm-hmm. Canadian... It's so true. Why are you we know, like, like that? Like I thought, you yeah. know, after the, the, the hip concert... Uh, you know, Eddie Vedder the next night, remember, mm-hmm. dedicated a song to Gord. Yeah. Uh, I think they were playing out in Washington They were in Chicago. It was mm-hmm. in Chicago? Yep. Okay. Yep. 
And they thought, hey, that's great. And I'm thinking, well, of course he is. They're He's an artist. He gets that. You know, we don't musicians we, love the tragically hip. All oh, American yeah. musicians know who they are. Yeah. It's just that the public doesn't as much. I'll never figure that. Yeah, out. I yeah. know. Same with me. I don't yeah, get it. I will never figure. Do you think that, that, out. that the Gordowney talks? He speaks over. People in the state. Am I saying that we're uh, smarter than Americans? Maybe I am. I don't know. But when, <laughs> I mean, when bands like Third Eye Blind are having more yeah. s- commercial success than the tragically yeah. well, and states, I, I always have a problem too when some Canadian guy writes a song and says, "You know, I just drove in from Dallas." And then uh, I, I appreciate <laughs> the fact that Gord will write a song about Bob Cajun. He doesn't have to Americanize his music. Yeah, that's right. We're out of time. Hey, uh, unless you guys want to stay tuned. I'm not noon. leaving. No? Yeah, go no. home. We'll, okay, we'll, we'll just stick yeah. just, just, What should we talk about, Ben? Just, <laughs> just fade the mics out, Jacob, okay? We'll just kind of doff off into the sunset. <laughs> Colleen Rush home, Ben McVee. Have a great weekend, guys. Thanks, Thanks for coming for today. Thank you. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Earlier this week, three Ontario nursing homes, including one in Mississauga, have been ordered to stop accepting new residents due to what they call substandard care. The uh, crackdown comes after the Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care has ordered each to cease admissions, meaning that no new residents are allowed to move in uh, because of violations. This, this is troubling in and of itself, but this is not the first time we've heard about problems in the nursing home industry. Uh, I hear it almost on a weekly basis from uh, concerned family members, uh, residents. I mean, we can talk about some of the incidents that we've had uh, here in the Hamilton area as well. Joining us to talk about this is C. Van Tumarkin, partner, personal injury and insurance at Sanfiro Tumarkin, LLP. And uh, to give us some uh, insight into exactly what we can as, as caring parents and, and siblings uh, uh, do about these, these sort of situations. Seaman, thank you so much for the time. It's good to have you with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. This is, this is like just one more in a long series now of, of, of problems with the nursing home industry right now. And I'm sure that if I'm hearing this as, as a talk radio host, uh, as, as a lawyer, you must be getting phone calls about this too, saying, look, it, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about how my mom or my dad or my whoever is being treated in these homes right now. Now, what what can we do as, as individuals, as caring individuals, when we, we think there's something going on like this? Well, you're absolutely right, Bill. This is something that's plaguing, literally plaguing our society. Uh, and the government is trying to do something by passing new regulations, new laws. You know, what ordinary people can do is, look, many of us have uh, a father, a mother, grandmother, grandfather in one of these homes you know, when you walk in there and you're interacting with your loved one, you are observing, you're seeing things happening. Uh, and so don't stay silent. You know, I mean, when we're looking at some of the complaints and some of the things that are coming out that are being reported on, we're not just talking about ordinary neglect. We're talking about situations where residents are abusing residents and the staff is not doing anything about that. We're talking about people soiling themselves because there's insufficient staffing. There's a whole array of things. And so as ordinary individuals, uh, people from the public, when we see these kinds of things, we actually have to say something. And by the way, that's not to say that in every home this is happening. But you're right, it's becoming more and more prevalent. And I do get quite a few calls. And, you know, I've dealt with very tragic situations where uh, families have come to me after loved ones have literally died from injuries because of neglect, because of uh, protocols and policies not being followed. You know, and families do have recourse, by the way. I mean, there, there is legal compensation that's available, but ideally you would want to nip this in the bud and prevent it as opposed to being reactive and seeking compensation after the fact. I mean, the worst case scenario, obviously, would be the, the, the Wetlawfer case, uh, the, the right. woman who was charged, of course, uh, with, with murders. And, and uh, we've, we've talked to the families of some of those victims as well. But, but uh, to your point, though, Sivan, as you mentioned, this, this, it's, that's the worst case scenario. But we're talking about things that can also happen uh, in, that, that 
Well, I, actually, there is death because I think of the one that happened at St. Joseph's Villa here in the Hamilton area just a few months ago where a patient was sexually, or not sexually assaulted, but assaulted, physically assaulted by a fellow patient, ended up dying of those injuries a few months later, but he died of those injuries. Uh, this is happening to, to the extent right now where families are saying, look, is it safe? And uh, invariably, what we always hear in return is what you've just outlined. They come back and say, well, we just don't have the resources, we don't have the staff. That's not really a good enough reason. Well, no, it's not a good enough reason, and I don't see this any different than expecting that when you send your child to school, that child is being taken care of, right? I mean, we talk about those issues too, but, you know, the elderly, I mean, these are some of the most vulnerable people in society. And, you know, when people say, or when companies say, uh, and there have been allegations here, by the way, that some of these companies that have been mentioned that are managing some of these homes, they say, look, we are strapped in terms of money, budgets. Well, you know what? Maybe a lawsuit is going to convince you that it's more expensive not to take care of your patients than to take care of them. I mean, it's just it's a shame to actually put it in those terms, but oftentimes, and I can tell you this again from experience, not just as someone who represents families and people in those situations, somebody who's worked for insurance companies. I've defended cases where my clients who've done wrong because of the lawsuit ended up taking proactive steps to avoid future lawsuits. So it wasn't even on the merits, it was economics. But it shouldn't be that way. You are dealing literally with the most vulnerable of society. It's completely unacceptable. Well, the ministry statement about these homes, uh, the, the ones that we're talking about, the, least, the, la- the latest three anyway, right. uh, says that uh, there is sufficient risk of harm to residents' health or well-being. Uh, and they've said to cease admissions. I, I, yeah. I would think uh, maybe the order at this point, uh, Sivan, should have been cease operation. Well, so, so that's a conundrum, right? Because we have an aging population and you literally don't have enough beds. So they're stuck between a rock and a hard place because they don't know what to do. Uh, people are looking for homes for their parents, grandparents, etc. Uh, and by the way, we're not talking about this being a cheap exercise. I mean, as, as many of your listeners know, it's extremely expensive. It can cost three, four, five, six thousand dollars $6,000 a month for, for residency at one of these places. So, you know... Should the ministry be closing them down? I don't know if that's the solution necessarily. Uh, they do have, they do issue compliance orders, and you know, as you just outlined, sometimes they order them to cease admissions. I, you know, there has to be better regulations, and you know, ultimately, Bill, the reality is that, and I'm telling you this from experience, and it's unfortunate, but anytime this happens, you know, including that nurse out in Woodstock and London, Wetlaufer, the one that was responsible for killing mm-hmm. those patients, you know, there are lawsuits coming out of it. I'm not advocating for lawsuits, but here's a tip. Here's a tip that I've mentioned a few times now. If you have a loved one and you have concerns about that, any one of these homes, or hospitals for that matter, anytime you have concerns, these homes have uh, risk management directors. These are people very high up in the organization. Their job is to prevent lawsuits. So I can guarantee you that if you found that person's phone number, address, email from the staff up at the, you know, in, in, in the front, uh, and you contacted them and you told them your concerns, something would likely get done about that. Because that person up there, they're in charge of minimizing liability. So that's the first step. But certainly people should not be silent. I mean, that's, that's the worst thing you can do is just be silent. But, 
minimize minimizing liabilities as, a, a, instead of improving service. In other words, hey, let's let's try to you know make sure that this doesn't become public. And you're bang on. I mean, the Toronto Star uh, report that came out a couple of months ago about costing here is ridiculous. I think it was five and a half thousand dollars a month right. in some of the Toronto nursing homes. Now it it's a little less expensive in areas like Hamilton and down the Niagara Peninsula, but it's still a significant amount of money. And and what I hear from an awful lot of families in, in situations like that, Steve, is look at for that kind of money, we should be getting five star service, and they're certainly not. You know, that one report that came out a couple of months ago that says some nursing homes are feeding seniors on $8.33 a day. I read that, yep. A yep. day. Yep. I, I, it costs you that much to get a muffin and a coffee in the morning. I mean, and that's that's the, the daily allowance for these people. you got to wonder, where are the standards here? Yeah, yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea where the money is going. But, I mean, and it's not just the food. I mean, we're talking about medications being wrongly administered. We're talking about people getting hired. And, again, I'm just reading from those articles here, right? This, are in, this is investigating reporting. Yeah. And as well as, you know, from uh, anecdotal-type cases that I have experienced, uh, you have people getting hired not going through police background checks. Uh, you know, I suspect that's what happened there with that nurse in Woodstock and London. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I agree with you. Where is the money going? It's, it's an insane amount of money. Insane. And, and you, you have residents there not only getting abused, neglected, uh, perhaps not eating what they should be, not getting the medication, uh, but also, again, soiling themselves. And I, I just, it's, this is a first world country. I just I, I can't fathom that it's happening. But again, let's let's keep this in perspective as well. In, it's not in every home. No. By the way, the fact that it's not in every home means that it can be done correctly. Exactly. Right? I mean, that's what it means. So I, I agree with you completely. I you know, liability is one aspect. Uh, it, this is the stick, shall we say, that has to be the carrot as well. And I think that a lot of these places truly do care about the residents. Uh, we do have uh, this plaguing, though, society, because it keeps coming up. I don't, I don't even think that a, a month goes by without us hearing something about some nursing home or long-term care home somewhere in Ontario having these issues. And that's just preposterous to me. Well, the count that I saw is there are 630 long-term care homes in the province of Ontario. Right. And, but they say that about five a year uh, fall under this uh, this situation where they're actually t- told to, to not bring any more uh, new residents in because of, of some shortcomings. And uh, the three that we've talked about here right now, I mean, these are significant. I think one of them had like 40 violations. Yep. Uh, others are slightly less than that. But I mean, the, the, and we're talking about things like toileting, uh, right. as you mentioned, food, quality of food, when they get their meals, uh, you know, wanting to go to the washroom. And I guess nobody's there to assist them in situations like this. It, it seems to me that, that, that I guess what we need to do is is have some set of uh, standards for this, but I, I guess there's a certain responsibility for the families here too. Would you not think, Sivan, to to explore this go before you make a determination about where uh, your loved one is actually going to go? I do. I, I 100% agree with you, and I think that most families do try to to look and you know get reference checks and try and understand and 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 you know meet with either either residents or get references for the institution that they're placing the loved ones in. You know, but it's also incumbent on people working there, right? I mean, you have a lot of very good people working in these places, nurses and other aides. You know, they're not all bad apples. Well, if you are seeing this happening, you should say something. I, I know there are concerns about employment and repercussions, but, you know, you're dealing with human lives. This is not dollars and cents. So it's incumbent, I think, on everyone, not just the families and not just the residents. And by the way, there's residents there that have their full faculties, and they are seeing what is going on. Now, you've mentioned some homes, the, the number 630 uh, long-term homes, roughly five a year or so are stopped from accepting new residents. Those are the ones that are stopped. What about the ones that are not stopped? 
but we have you know these orders being uh, made against them by the ministry. And, and by the way, some of these homes are repeat offenders. Yeah. So in those cases, I agree with you as well. If you have a home that is repeatedly offending, maybe there should be liability. Again, I'm talking about liability against some of the senior administrative uh, personnel there. You know, the directors, the owners. Maybe there should be personal fines. I, I don't know. But something needs to be done about this. And again, you're absolutely right. I don't want to paint everybody with the same brush here because there's 630, and, and some of these people do comply, and, and I understand that from time to time things can happen, meals could be late, et cetera, like that. But what's what's that line that gets crossed when, when somebody says, look, at this is just not working. Uh, I've got to get in touch with somebody like Sivan and, and find out just what my family's rights are in a situation like that. How would you advise somebody like that to proceed? Well, that's... Uh fantastic uh, question and and what i would tell people is you know don't immediately jump to 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 calling a lawyer to calling me for example uh it's counterintuitive for me to say that uh but you know try and raise the issues with the personnel there uh again risk management director or someone higher up and, and do it in writing so that there is a record if the problems are not rectified or if the problems are so severe we're talking about either abuse or you know, medications being uh, mishandled, things are really severe, then, of course, you give me a call or you email me, and I will tell you what your rights are because it's dependent on each fact scenario. But here's what people need to understand. You know, if something happens, God forbid, there is a death, there is an injury, uh, there is other things that may happen, the law does entitle you the resident and the family to compensation, whether it's for pain and suffering, uh, whether it's punitive damages against the home, aggravated damages, there's a whole array of damages. Again, I'm not saying you jump to that from the outset, but I'll tell you, they, and this is unfortunate, a lot of these homes, corporations in general, uh, they, they react to, to claims, to lawyers, because they're afraid of them. They're afraid of them because it costs them money. That's what it comes down to for them. How important is it to, if you find your family in a situation like that, if you've got concerns about the level of care that your loved one's getting, to, to chronicle events, to, to keep a record? Extremely. It's extremely important, which is why I think documentary evidence is very important, especially contemporaneous. So if you've realized that something happened with a resident, with your father, mother, whoever, a month ago, uh, you know, and, and you realize that when you went and visited them a month ago, don't wait a month to make a complaint. Uh, do it uh, as quickly as possible and do it in writing. And you're right. I mean, keep a diary or just communicate directly via writing with the, 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 uh, the institution, the, again, people higher up. Because you know what, if something again happens that you need to take legal action, all of these records, all of this correspondence is going to come to light. So it's extremely important, extremely. I, I, I feel badly, as, as you do, for some of the staff, too, because obviously they find themselves in a rather precarious position sometimes. And, and I know that in the, the, the incident that occurred at uh, St. Joseph's Villa, of course, with that assault, uh, a number of the staff were very concerned, but there just weren't enough people. There, there's issues like security, et cetera. Right. And, and I guess what, what magnifies our concern here uh, is that, as you've mentioned, we're an aging population. Uh, we're going to need places like this. Uh, and we're going to need better standards for places like this because we're going to, the more and more of us, the longer we live, may find ourselves in this situation at some point. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. Again, I, I see a parallel here between uh, schools and how the government regulates schools and how strictly they enforce regulations and policies and procedures with these kinds of homes. I, I see no difference. You're talking about a vulnerable society. In fact, you know, in many instances, you can even say that the elderly, to some extent, are even more vulnerable because children, depending on the age, can actually say something. They can actually voice uh, that something has happened at school. 
whereas a lot of these people, uh, the elderly who are extremely vulnerable, perhaps they have uh, uh, issues with memory, perhaps uh, you know, they, they literally can't articulate what's going on, it's, it's extremely, extremely important that the government steps in and tightens the regulations and the inspections and, frankly, the penalties. And, you know, you've mentioned that it's a double-edged sword many times for the employees. I, you know, it, it, they are in a precarious situation because if you see something happening that's bad, you're thinking to yourself, should I say something? What if I get fired? Well, guess what? You have rights as an employee. That employer, if they let you go because of this, you, they're gonna ha- there's going to be consequences flowing from that. Don't simply assume that if you voice dissent, then suddenly they can just fire you, and that's it. You get absolutely nothing. No, no, no. This, and not to mention the fact that the news will probably pick up on that. So, I th- again, I think it's incumbent on everyone, particularly the staff, families, and other residents who are seeing this happening day to day, to voice, to voice what is going on so that, uh, you know, the more we talk about it, the more you talk about I think the more pressure comes to bear on these homes to do what's right. It's it's awfully frustrating though uh, when when you see the reports that we've talked about this one here about the the houses that that have been told not to accept new uh, residents for the time being uh, the report in the Star from a few months ago about uh, you know eight dollars and thirty three cents a day that's what they feed that's the cost of food to, to I guess to feed three meals to to some of the residents in some of these homes and on and on it goes I I don't know <laughs> I I'd like to think that someday they're going to do an investigative report and say hey guess what they're doing a pretty good job here. Uh, and I understand that this is only five out of 630 homes, uh, and, and that's still, that's, that may not be a large number, but if your family or your loved one is impacted by this, it does matter. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, it just, occur- it just occurred to me as, as you were speaking and saying, you know, these five homes, they were ordered not to take patients. What's going on with all the patients who are already there? I mean, who's looking after them? I, I, and I, I don't know, to be honest with you. I, 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 what I do know is that when families contact me, they contact me in extreme distress. And frankly, my first piece of advice is get the person out of that location. Whatever happens, whether you need to care for them at home, whether you need to put them somewhere else, take them out of that situation. Because clearly, you know, this is only going to get worse. And that's, that's the concern here. It's not that you're just dealing with these five homes. It's how many other ones are, are not acting as they should. And, you know, some of the things that you're, t- that you're, you're, you're mentioning here, I mean, whether it's understaffing or, or you know, the, the $8 and several cents a day for meals, I mean, who's looking into that? Is there some kind of a standard? No, here, here is the type of meals you need to give a day. I mean, here's the amount of meals or the nutrition guide. I, I, I don't know that we have regulations that are that specific with respect to these homes. And frankly, I think maybe it's time that we do. Well, I mean, uh, clearly we have issues. With your that. analogy with schools, uh, I think, is bang on. I mean, you know, the government has been pretty instructive about that and mm-hmm. say, look at you know, you can't serve kids this, you can't have soft drinks, you can't do junk food, etc., right. because they're concerned about kids' well-being. Uh, I'm assuming there are standards uh, for for the uh, the kinds of food and uh, and and when the food is going to be served to to these residents. And, uh, but clearly, maybe they they need to review those as well. Listen, for eight dollars a day. I'm trying to think in my mind, how can you feed someone on $8 a day? What are you going to get for that? A pizza? You know, and a drink? I mean, what, I, vegetable? I mean, I just, I'm, what can you get? Yes, you can do. I mean, I, I, I cook myself, so I, I know how much many ingredients cost, whether it's no frills or if you buy in bulk. But on $8 a day, what can you possibly be feeding these individuals? And again, it's not just the food. It's, it's making sure that they go to the toilet. I mean, something as basic as that. And, you know, it's beyond just the health aspects of having a resident soil themselves regularly. There are health implications here to themselves, to everyone else. 
Again, this is a first world country. This should not be happening here. This would be, can you imagine if these kinds of violations, these kinds of things happened in a school? Can you imagine what would happen to, to the, the principal of that school and to whoever, whichever teachers were responsible for the incident? I mean, you'd probably, people would be calling for their heads. That's what I assume is going to happen. How, how come it's different for, for the elderly who are probably as vulnerable, if not more, in some instances? No, and it shouldn't be any different. It shouldn't be. Sivan, thanks so much for this great insight into this. I appreciate your time today. My pleasure. Thanks, Bill. Take care. Sivan Tamarkin, of course, partner with the uh, personal injury lawyer and insurance firm of Sam Firo and Tamarkin, LLP. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.